Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word, and we thank you for each person who's here tonight, and those who are away, homesick, whatever else might be keeping them away, Father God, just bless them. And Lord, for each of us that are here tonight, we pray that your Holy Spirit would move mightily among us, that you would be our teacher, and Father, that we'd be receptive to hear from you. But we thank you that your word is living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. We thank you that though the text we read tonight was written over 3,500 years ago, Lord, it still applies to every single life in this room tonight. So, Father, may you be our teacher, Lord. We just thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Well, Leviticus, we've talked about this the last couple of weeks, how it's, it's a great book in the Bible, but it's a book that a lot of people kind of avoid because Leviticus is all about Old Testament sacrifices. And we talked about the fact that how Leviticus is, is a book that is one of the most important books in the Old Testament because it gives us, for the first time, understanding of what atonement is. Remember that in the Bible, it's very clear that we need to understand that we are all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And we cannot pay for our own sin. It's impossible. And as we see in Leviticus, there had to be an atoning work for our sin. And we can't do it by going to church. We can't do it by being good enough. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We can't, we can't be righteous enough. And so there had to be atonement. And an easy way to remember that is at-one-ment, right? To make us at-one with God, to restore sinful man back to holy God, there had to be a sacrifice that was paid. And Leviticus gives us a clear understanding of what kind of sacrifice that would be. Tonight we're going to look at the third one of those sacrifices, which is the peace offering or the fellowship offering. But before there could be peace, there had to be, there had to be a payment or that atonement. And we saw that in the first two weeks. Remember how in Genesis, Genesis is really all about creation and, and how man sinned and got separated from God. Man chose to sin and broke fellowship with God. Then in Exodus, we saw restoration, that they were delivered out of bondage. God sent a deliverer, Moses, who's a type or a picture of Christ, who delivered them out of the bondage of sin. And when we get to Exodus, they've been delivered from bondage, they're at Mount Sinai, and we know that Moses has come down with the law. Now, uh, they've been given the law, the Ten Commandments, we know that they've They've already began to blow it. They were also given many feasts and other things to observe. Now Leviticus is broken up in two ways. The first half of the book is about sacrifices. We've been talking about this. The first half of the book, first 17 chapters, we're going to see sacrifices. We're in chapter 3 tonight. And each of these sacrifices not only points to restoration between sinful man and holy God, not only reveals to them how they should live and pursue God, but they're very clear pictures of Jesus Christ. As we see each one of the sacrifices, you're going to see Jesus, 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 Jesus. Over 1,500 years before he came to earth, we're going to see Jesus all over the Old Testament. The key lesson in, in Leviticus is how awful sin is. And we talked about this the last couple of weeks, but I think it bears repeating that Leviticus is not taught by a lot of people because it is a very bloody book. It's 88 times the word blood is mentioned, that, there was a, that there's a, a desperate need for a sacrifice to atone for sin. And it showed these guys, every time they made a sacrifice, if you lived in those days, when you made that sacrifice, you realized how heavy-duty sin was because of the price that had to be paid to push the sin toward the coming Messiah. But the good news is, is it's, a, it's a book that's filled with blood, but it's also a book that's filled with holiness. Because through the shedding of blood comes the remission of sin and the restoration of sinful man back to holy God and sin being paid for. So those are the two main things that we see. Atonement bringing holiness and sacrifice bringing sanctification. 
It also saw a picture of what sin does to us. It, it brings about death. We also were going to see Christ throughout Leviticus. Now the first two chapters, again, just briefly, I want to touch on them. In chapter 1, we saw the first offering, and that was the burnt offering. Now remember, as we were going through the tabernacle, that the very first thing they did, they came in, there was an altar for burnt offerings, right? At the very front of the tabernacle. And this sacrifice, this burnt offering, was a picture of Christ's complete and total submission to the will of God. Because remember that they would burn the entire sacrifice, every single bit of it. Remember there were three types of animals. The first one was either was a, was a bull or an ox. And that was a herd offering. Those were the people that were the most affluent, were able to give the most. They gave a bull or an ox. And we talked about the fact that those are are animals that carry burdens. And it's a picture of Jesus Christ in that He is the one that carries our burdens. Hey, if you're here tonight and you're burdened by something, I want you to know that Jesus Christ says, Come unto me, all you who are laboring and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you're going through something heavy, just know that the Lord's right there and says, Here, give it to me, I'll take it for you. Amen? That's the God that we serve. Every other God that the, the world perpetuates, every other you know, false God wants to take from you. But our God came to give to you. Amen? To give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. We also saw the flock offering, which was a sheep or a goat. Remember the sheep points to Jesus because he is what? He's, a, he's the perfect what? Lamb. lamb of God. That's what the Bible says. He's the perfect Lamb of God. So when we look at that sacrifice, it points to Christ. We also saw the other flock offering was a goat, and we talked about the scapegoat, that word. You've heard that word scapegoat? That's a term that came from Jewish times when they would take an animal and they would confess their sins over it, and they would send it out in the wilderness in a way to carry their sins away from them. And that's where the term scapegoat comes from. And then lastly, we saw the bird offering. And we talked about how they would wring the head of the bird, which is a picture of the crown of thorns. They would remove its crop, its feathers, where a picture when they plucked Jesus' beard, that they would take the bird and partially tear it and spread its wings to sacrifice it. And we talked about how that was a picture of the cross as Jesus' arms were spread open wide to pay the price for us. Then last week, we moved on from the, the burnt offering to the grain offering. We talked about how the grain offering points clearly to the perfection of Jesus Christ. That He's perfect, He's holy, He's sinless. You know, only a perfect sacrifice can restore sinful man back to holy God. That's why Muhammad cannot die for your sins. Amen? That's why Hare Krishna, Joseph Smith, Mary Baker Eddy, Charles Taze Russell, all these religious leaders that people follow, they're all sinners in need of a Savior. That's why we, we don't follow any man. That's why you, know, you, you cannot look for anyone else to pay for your sins because they're all sinners too in desperate need of a Savior. Amen? But Jesus Christ, perfect, holy God. And we saw as they made up this grain offering that it was made of fine flour, sifted. And we talked about the fact that, that right after Jesus was totally dedicated in his ministry at his baptism. The first thing that happened to him was he was led into the wilderness where he was tempted. The word sifted there is used in that text. They took Jesus out into the, Jesus was led out into the wilderness and the enemy tempted him. It's interesting that one of the temptations he gave him was to turn stones into what? To bread. And remember how that this whole grain offering is making of bread as an atonement. So a clear picture of Jesus Christ. Then the, the bread was, or the grain, the fine flour was mixed with oil. Oil is a representation of what in the Bible? Holy Spirit. And so when he mixed the bread with the oil, it's a picture again of Christ. Because remember what happened at his baptism. It, you know, the sky opened up and God the Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Right? Probably sounded better than that. But he opened up the sky and said, This is my Son. And then the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. 
Again, a picture in that, that grain offering of Christ. It said they mixed it with frankincense. Where did we see frankincense in the Bible? Who remembers? At the birth of Jesus Christ. The wise men came. One of the gifts they brought was frankincense. Frankincense was a, a, was a sweet uh, gummy residue that they would burn, and it was a sweet, sweet aroma to the Lord. It was made without leaven, which means it was untouched by evil. Leaven in the Bible is a picture of what? Sin. And so it was without leaven. Again, Christ without sin. Then they would take that whole mixture and they would beat it. A picture of what happened to our, our Savior, that he was beaten upon the cross. And then lastly, they would take it and put it upon the fire. And the fire is a picture of the cross itself. But again, the good news is that in the end, Jesus rose from the dead. He triumphed over sin and death. So tonight, we're going to move on. We've looked at those first two offerings. And the reason I take the time to review that every week is because each one of these offerings is a reflection of the previous ones we've just looked at. Because we started off with the burnt offering, this offering of redemption, this offering of atonement, this offering of complete dedication by the Lord. Then we move on to a sinless perfection. And now we're going to look at a peace offering a peace or fellowship offering, in the celebration of restoration of peace and fellowship between holy God and sinful man. So let's begin in verse 1 of Leviticus chapter 3. It says, when, he was, when his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering, okay, when his offering, this is speaking of the one that would offer to the Lord, and it says, when it is a sacrifice, now the word sacrifice in Hebrew there means to slaughter. So when he brings one that he is going to slaughter, in this case, the flesh of an animal. Remember this, that it cannot be a sacrifice if it doesn't cost something. Sacrifices can't, while, while salvation is a free gift, it's free for us because someone else paid the price. Who paid the price? Jesus Christ did. Amen? And so when they would bring the sacrifice, remember that they would bring the sacrifice of animals that belonged to them typically. So they were domesticated animals. They were animals that quite often might even have lived in their, you know, in their home or on their, on their property. And then they would take the best animal that they had and they would bring it to the Lord as a sacrifice. All of it, again, pointing to the coming Messiah. It says there, is a sacrifice of a peace offering. Now the peace offering was the third of what are called the pleasing aroma offerings. Offerings that were sweet in the presence of God. Could only be offered after a burnt offering. You could not offer this, this free will offering unless you first offered a burnt offering and then you offered a grain offering and with it you offered either a sin or a guilt offering. Then you could offer this offering of thanksgiving. Now why would that be, this, this peace offering and this offering of thanksgiving? Why is it you needed to make those other offerings first? Well, here's why. Because the burnt offering is a picture of Christ's total submission. The grain offering is a picture of Christ's sinless perfection. And the sin or the guilt offering pictures Christ bearing our guilt, paying for our sin. Here's why you can't have the peace offering until after those. Because unless Jesus Christ was totally devoted and dedicated and came and laid down his life completely for us, unless he was sinless and perfect, and unless he went to the cross and suffered and died that we might have eternal life, it would be impossible for us to have peace. Amen? Without the crucifixion, Without his sinless perfection, without his total willingness to lay down his life for us, you and I could never, ever have peace. And so that's why it's so important that the burnt offering comes first, and then the grain offering, and then the free will offering, bringing peace and thanksgiving. As we're going to see, these worshipers and their families would, would be able to not only bring this as a rejoicing time before the Lord, but in Leviticus 7, we're going to see that at the end of it, it would result in a huge feast. 
feast. That they would share a portion of this meal together in a, in a way of looking back or looking forward to the coming Messiah or being thankful for the restoration. We're also going to see another clear picture of Jesus in our relationship to Him. Again, that only through that atoning work can we have that kind of fellowship with the Father. It's interesting to note that, again, this peace offering was a free will offering. And, but it was, so it was done purely from a heart of thanksgiving and in celebration. You know what? The Lord wants us to give with a cheerful heart. Amen? We, he doesn't want us to give because someone's making us feel guilted into doing it. That's why we don't even pass an offering here at Calvary Santa Cruz. My heart is that you would never feel a compulsion to give. You give because God puts it on your heart and you do it for Him as a joy. Amen? I'm here to minister to you, not to get money from you. As you give, you give to the Lord. You don't give to your pastor. Amen? And so we see here that this was a free will offering. And they did it out of the joy that was in their hearts because they realized the work of the, of the burnt offering. They realized the, the great work of the grain offering. They said, oh, Lord, what a, what a blessing to know that there can be restoration between you and me. They also would do it in Thanksgiving when God would answer prayer after a military victory, at the end of a time of famine, at an annual family reunion, at harvesting times when they were given their first fruits. And the only time this sacrifice was required, this is interesting to me, there's only one time that this sacrifice we're reading about, this peace offering, was required. And the only time was during a, a festival or a feast called the Feast of Weeks. And it's also got another name. Who's, who knows what the other name is for the Feast of Weeks? Pentecost. Now, isn't it interesting that the peace offering was given at Pentecost. What happened after the burnt offering, which points to the cross, and the grain offering, which points to the perfection of our Savior, right, when He triumphed over sin and death, when He rose from the dead? What happened 40 days or 50 days, excuse me, later? What happened? Pentecost, 50 days later, after His crucifixion. The Holy Spirit came. And what gives us peace here and now? How do you know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven? What's your down payment on heaven? It's the Holy Spirit. You know, when you, the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. And He seals you, He gives you a down payment on heaven by His Holy Spirit coming to live inside of you. And so we see here that this peace offering was given only one time that it was mandatory, and that was at Pentecost. Because when we know the Prince of Peace, He gives us the Holy Spirit who comes to comfort us. Amen? Parakletos means with comfort. He comes to comfort us, right? With the Holy Spirit. He comes and comforts us. He convicts us also of our sin, but He comforts us. He's the great comforter. Praise God that He's given us that. So this peace or fellowship offering came after the burnt offering, after the grain offering, after the sin offering. Again, because of our, our perfect Savior, after His resurrection from the dead, His ascension into heaven, the Holy Spirit came to give us peace. It says in verse 1, If He offers it of the herd, whether male or female, He shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. Now remember, a herd here would be a bull. Now it's interesting that the first two sacrifices, it had to be a male had to be a male animal. And the reason for that is both of those offerings are pointing to the crucifixion and to the perfection of Jesus Christ. And obviously we know that the Messiah would be a man. 100% God, 100% man. Jesus always has been. He's not a created being. He always will be. But he also came to earth and became 100% man. But here with this peace offering, it's a celebration of what he's already done. And it can be either male or female. Why? Because Christ died for all of us. Amen? 
He didn't die just for some, he died for all. It is his desire that none should perish, no, not one. It's interesting that if you go and you look in, in Galatians chapter 3, it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He loves us all. He created us all in his image. And he died that we might have eternal life. It says there that we'll be without blemish before the Lord. Now, complete, perfect, sincere, without spot, undefiled, upright, whole. That's what the word without blemish means in the original language. All sac sacrifices before and to the Lord must be perfect. Now, let me say this. I want, listen, if you could. Every sacrifice given to the Lord must be perfect. But the Bible says that we're to be living sacrifices in Hebrews. How, how can you and I be living sacrifices if every sacrifice to the Lord must be perfect? We must be perfect. Oh, wait a minute. Pastor Dave, man, I, uh, that ain't me, right? Not me either, right? From the world's perspective, I blow it. Ask my wife, ask, you know, ask anybody who hangs out with me at all, right? You're going to see me make mistakes because I'm a man. But the good news is, the Bible says, be holy for I am holy. The Bible tells us that we are all new creations in Christ, amen? And the reason that we can live lives sacrificed unto Him is that He has made us perfect. Which means that you cannot live a life sacrificed to God unless you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who has paid the price and cleansed you of your sin, amen? People say, oh, I want to live a life of sacrifice. You can't sacrifice to God if you're, an Im if you're imperfect. And you cannot be made perfect out of your own good works. So Christ must touch you. He must transform your life. People say, oh, I want to go, you know, go out in the jungle and feed people. And that's wonderful. But if you go out and feed people and you don't know Christ, you're not a living sacrifice unto the Lord. You're doing good deeds, but that's not going to get you to heaven. And you know what? They're really not the best deeds because you can give someone food and they can still not know God. And still spend eternity separated from Him. And so the ultimate gift you can take to somebody is the love of God. And so for us to be sacrifices, living sacrifices unto the Lord, we must be without blemish. And the only way that happens is when our lives have been touched and transformed by the renewing work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. We cannot live a set-apart, sacrificial life prior to salvation. It is impossible. And it says the sacrifices are before the Lord. Every sacrifice is for the Lord and to the Lord. Verse 2, And they shall lay his hand on the head of the offering, now remember that, that when they laid the hand on an offering, what they were doing was they were saying, I'm identifying myself with this offering. When they put their hand on top of it, they're saying, this offering is a representation of me. Now when they did it with the goat, they, they would lay their hand on it and they would confess their sin. And quite often on the burnt offerings, they would come and they would confess their sin and say, this is a representation of my sin that's going to pay the price for me. In this case, they would come because it was a praise offering and they would give their praise and they would worship and say, Lord, we just want to thank you and praise you for the work that you've done. We want to thank you, Lord, for, for ending the famine. We want to thank you, Lord, for bringing our family back together again. We want to thank you, Lord, for the first fruits, for what you've given to us in this great harvest. Lord, we want to thank you and praise you and honor you in everything that you do in our lives. You know what? There still needs to be that sacrifice of praise. Amen? That we come before Him and our hearts are broken and we just cry out and worship Him and tell Him how much we love Him. And so when they laid the hand on the head, He was identifying Himself with the sacrifice. Again, the burnt offering was confessing sin, but here in the peace offering, He would bring praise of His atoning work or for answered prayer or for first fruits. Now look what had to happen next though. And kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. 
Thank you, Jesus, that we don't live in the Old Testament times. Amen? I'm glad I'm not bringing a lamb to church and having to hold that little lamb in my hand and then slit its throat. I don't want to do that. How many of you guys want? I don't want to do that. No thanks, right? And, and, the only, and you think, man, that's brutal. That's rough. But you know what? Sin is awful. And sin requires a heavy-duty payment to pay the price for it. And that's what that lamb was a picture of. And every time they had to do it, no doubt, nobody was skipping in to, to do that. Oh, great, I get to go. They weren't, they weren't real excited about it, but they knew it was necessary. And the good news is that when we come to church, Jesus said on the cross, Tetalistai, which means what? It is finished. No more sacrifices. No more. It's done. It's paid for. I don't have to have you know, 27 steps to God. I don't have to keep a bunch of different rules. I don't have to have some man tell me that I'm blessed or whatever. Jesus paid the price. He's the only intercessor between sinful man and holy God. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. We only need to go to Him no other way. But they had to kill this lamb or kill this bull. And it was a bloody mess. But what it did is it showed them how desperately, desperately they were in need of forgiveness. Now they did it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And those of you who are here in Exodus, remember there was only one way in. And they did it at the door because there was only one way that they could enter into fellowship. The only way they could enter into that tabernacle, that place of fellowship, was through the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission for sin. Without the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, you and I cannot enter into fellowship with God the Father. There's no other way. You know, I love the fact that I grew up in a Christian home. Because I remember little songs growing up. You know, one way God said to get to heaven, Jesus is the only way. Amen? There's no other way. There's no other price. There's no other one. And I know, Pastor David, how many times are you going to tell us this? Probably 10 million more if the Lord tarries. Because I don't want anybody to ever, you know, you go off somewhere and someone starts telling you, hey, you know, I, you know, I, I got this other path. There's another way. You know, and sometimes you'll meet people that, that, have, that seem like they're really wonderful people. How many of you ever meet, met people that are involved in some kind of a cult and they're just like really wonderful people from the world's perspective? Aren't they usually really kind and loving and they're great people, but they're wrong. And not, not because Pastor Dave says so, but because God's word says so. And you know what? They've made a choice to say, you know what? I don't need to follow Jesus Christ. And I don't need to have the shedding of blood for the remission of sin. I can get there by my good works. But there's only one path in, and there had to be the shedding of blood at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before they could enter into that place where Almighty God dwelt. The only, place they, only way they could enter into His presence is that there had to be a sacrifice for our sins. And it says there at the tabernacle meeting, And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood all around the altar. Now who are the priests? And by the way, I'm going to step on some toes, but God bless you anyway. You know I love you. We don't need priests anymore. Amen? Amen. That was weak. Amen? <laughs> now here's why. I'm not bagging on the priests, but here's the reality, you guys. We have one great high priest, the Bible says. Who is it? Jesus, Jesus Christ. And so when someone else takes that position of saying, I have to intercede with God with God for you. That's what a priest did. A priest was an intercessor. He was the one that interceded between sinful man and holy God. They would come to priests and they would bring their sacrifice and the priest would go in and sprinkle the blood on the altar. Now why would he do that? Because he was a picture of Jesus Christ. Because 
we cannot go to the cross for ourselves. We cannot go and pay the price for ourselves because we are sinful men. That was what the priest did. So it says here they would bring the, the, the sacrifice to the priest and he would go in and sprinkle the blood on the altar. Now it's interesting that this altar had four horns on it. We've talked about this. And they would sprinkle the blood on the four horns of the, on, on the altar. And it's interesting that the altar itself was about the size that a man could lay down on. Now, Jesus, when he died, there are four points on a cross. Four horns on an altar. Blood was sprinkled. When Jesus died, we know that he bled all over it. It was a picture of the cross. But again, when Jesus died, what did he say? I go now to prepare a place for you, right? And where is he? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. We don't need to go to any other men to intercede for us anymore because the price has already been paid. Nobody needs to sprinkle blood on anything else anymore. Amen? No more intercessors. It's Jesus. He's at the right. So when we go to another man, we're saying the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross was not enough. It's not sufficient. I have to go to a man. Now, we can go to other people and ask them to pray for us. We can go to other people and ask them for help and counsel. But the reality is that we don't need priests anymore because there's only one great high priest, and it's Jesus Christ. Amen? You know what? There are those that are called by God to teach us the Bible. That's pastor-teacher. Pastor means servant, not priest. Amen? I'm not interceding. I'm not, you know, between you and God. I'm happy to pray for you. But my prayers don't do any more than the prayer of the person sitting next to you. Because I'm a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. I'm just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. And the sad part is that in religion, religiosity, people elevate men to where they start to, to value the opinions of men over the Word of God. And people become biblically illiterate because they don't study the Bible for themselves because they trust what people say. And that's what happens. That's how people get off the track and they, don't, they start listening to a lie because they don't read the Word anymore. Well, this man said, well, this prophet said, this man over here, this priest, this person, whoever they might be, this religious leader, whoever... It doesn't matter if he's Catholic, Protestant, whatever. It doesn't matter. We don't need to, the words of men. We need the word of God. Amen? And that's why faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that's why we're just going to go through the Bible. Because the Bible will transform your lives, not the opinion of men. And so we saw that this priest had to go in and sprinkle the blood on the altar. Why? Because the altar was a picture of the cross and the priest was a picture of Christ. He was the one that interceded between sinful man and holy God. And he had to go and intercede on behalf of the people. Verse 3, then he shall offer for the sacrifice of peace offering, an offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove. Thank you, Jesus, I don't live during the Old Testament times. How would you like to bring in a lamb and slit his throat, and then you've got to sit down and be a butcher? And you got to cut out the, you know, the fat part, and you got to cut the, the liver part out, and, the, and you take the, what is considered the best part of the animal, the best part of the meat, and that part is taken out and then sacrificed. What a mess! Now, it's, now you know why they had a bronze laver after the burnt altar, right? I mean, it was a mess, right? You had to go clean yourself up because you were covered in blood. And I'm thanking Jesus that I don't have to do that. Amen? Now, why did they burn that portion? Because it was the portion that was considered the best. And you always give the best to the Lord. It was a sweet aroma in His presence as they gave the best that they had unto God. Verse 5, And Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt sacrifice. Now, what does that mean? They took this, this 
free will peace offering that was a celebration of fellowship with the Lord, and they would bring it, and it said they'd burn it upon the, not the burnt altar, but upon the burnt offering. So that meant that they had to bring that burnt offering first, the one that was a picture of the atonement between sinful man and holy God. And as that was burning upon the altar, they would then take this free will offering and burn it upon, on top of it. Why? Because there can be no peace without redemption. That redemptive work had to become first, and then peace could come. So that burnt offering was still smoldering. There was still burning on the altar, and then the free will offering would come above it. It's kind of like tithes and offerings. You give, there's those things that we're called to give, and then there's free will things we do above it, and that's what's happened here. They brought the burnt offering, but at the same time they said, Lord, we want to give more. I want to give to you out of the joy of my heart. I want to give to you because of you restoring peace between sinful man and holy God. It's a fellowship offering. A place of fellowship, again, can only come through redemption. But it says there in verse 5, upon the burnt sacrifice, which is on the what? The wood. What do you think the wood is a type of in the New Testament? What did Jesus Christ die on? The cross. So this burnt offering, now this peace offering, right, is upon what? The wood. The burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering. All five of the offerings we're going to see in Leviticus, all were burnt on the wood. And every single one of them was fulfilled upon the cross. All five of them point to Jesus Christ. What did he do? He restored sinful man back to holy God. He is perfect, sinless God. He brought peace to us and fellowship back between us and perfect, holy God. you got to love it. Now it says there that on the wood that is on the fire, as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. It's on the fire, a picture of redemption upon the cross, which is a place of judgment, but also a place of purification. Offering made by fire. When you see fire in the Bible, it's a picture of, of judgment, and it's also a picture of purification. When you take fire, it will burn away what they call dross, and it will leave the purest that's left. And Jesus Christ went through that purifying fire and came out the other side. Three days later, he rose from the dead. Amen? Why? Because he's perfect, holy God. Any one of us under that judgment, we don't raise from the dead. Amen? Apart from him, we'd be dead in our trespasses and sins, and we'd have no hope. But that fire was a picture of that judgment, and the judgment of all mankind was placed upon Jesus Christ upon that cross. Now what's interesting is it says at the end of it that this bloody mess is a sweet aroma to the Lord. Did you know that Jesus Christ dying on the cross was a sweet aroma to the Lord? You know it was sweet in the presence of Almighty God? There was a time of separation between God the Father and God the Son. But it was a sweet aroma. Why? Why is it a sweet aroma that, that a sacrifice was made? that there was suffering, and that there was death, and that there was a shedding of blood. Because of the result. What was the result of that heavy-duty sacrifice? The result was that people like you and me can have a relationship with God the Father again. That all the way back in the garden, when, when sinful man was separated from holy God, for all those years, that separation remained. And until the point where that sacrifice was paid, that sweet aroma in the presence of God, then we can be restored to fellowship with Him. You know what? You can have a relationship with God right now. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven. Amen? 
When you, the Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. And you become, you're adopted into his family, you become one of his kids right here and right now. Sometimes I ask you guys this, hey, you going to heaven? I hope so, don't say that. If you, if you, if you hope so, let's talk after church, amen? Because you can know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven, right? Not because of who you are, but because of who he is. And that's why it was a sweet aroma in his presence because it was restoring sinful man back to holy God. Praise the Lord for that. This bloody, torturous death, again, resulted in restoration between sinful man and holy God. Verse 5 points to the fact that only God's appointed intercessor, that great high priest, could come near, endure the suffering, and the ultimate sacrifice in our place. And the peace could only come through complete and total sacrifice of the perfect Lamb of God. Verse 6. Now we move on from a herd offering to a flock offering, and a lot of this is going to be repetitive, but let's take a look. If his offering is a sacrifice of the peace offering to the Lord is of a flock, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb as his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord. Now, Remember last week, we talked about the fact in the week before that those, depending on affluence, depending on how wealthy they were, they would either bring a herd offering or a flock offering, and some offerings they were able to bring birds. They're not able to here, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But they brought a flock offering, and a flock would be either a lamb or a goat, a sheep, a lamb, or a goat. And so we see here that animals, again, were based on the, the affluence, but every animal, regardless though the animals might change, the process was always the same. Without blemish. Had to be perfect. Could not be an animal that was flawed. Do you remember when Jesus, the first time we see Jesus, one of the very few times we see Jesus get angry in the Bible, what was it for? Who remembers? When did he get angry? He cleansed the temple because they turned his father's house into what? A den of thieves. And one of the things they did is they would sell blemished animals. People who didn't have an animal to sacrifice would come into the temple, they would rip them off in money changing, and then they'd go to buy an animal, and they'd give them an animal that wasn't perfect, wasn't without blemish. Well, Jesus Christ is perfect. So the sacrifice must be a perfect animal. Not an animal with a broken leg, not an animal who's sick, not an animal who's blemished. It had to be a perfect animal. And the Lord was, you know, angry because not only had they turned his father's house into a den of thieves, but they were, you know, doing something that was virtually blasphemous by selling them imperfect animals because Jesus is perfect, holy God. Now, verse 7 says, if he offers a lamb as his offering, he shall offer it before the Lord. Remember, lambs were baby sheep, which means in their first year, all offerings again before the Lord, not for or before men. Every offering we give is before the Lord, not to impress men. It's to honor God. Amen? You know what? Most of the time, very rarely, I don't look at who gives what. Because I really don't, it's irrelevant to me. And that's between you and God. Amen? And back then, you know, the, the Pharisees were guilty of going in and they had these, these trumpets, they called them. And they would go down into a chest and they would go and exchange their money for as many coins as they could get. And then they would shake them in there. It's everything. Oh, that dude gives. Wow, right? And people would be impressed. But right here we're seeing that our offerings are not before men, they're before the Lord. They're to the Lord and for Him and His glory alone. Verse 8, And lay his hand on the head of the offering. He shall lay his hand on the head of the offering. What's that a picture of again? He's identifying himself with the sacrifice. And kill it. 
just as, the, as with the last offering, before the tabernacle of meeting, and Aaron and his son shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar. So again, the same process, different animal, based on the affluence of the person giving, but the same process every time. I'll tell you what, I, I, I'd almost rather give a bull, because if I've got to cut something up, I don't, wanna, I don't think I want to cut a little baby lamb. I'd have a hard time with that, right? But here they are, that's what they'd have to do. They'd bring the little lamb in, they'd hold it in his hands, and again, looking into the eyes of that little lamb, you'd have to be thinking, I'm the one that sinned, and you're paying the price. I'm the one who blew it, and you're paying the price for me. This just doesn't seem fair. Well, you know what? It's not fair that Jesus went to the cross for us, but he did it anyway because he loves us. Amen? And aren't you glad? He's a God of love and grace and mercy. That's what mercy is. Mercy is not giving us what we deserve, and grace is giving us something we don't. Amen? And he's a God of grace. He gives us something we don't deserve. And he's a God of mercy. He doesn't give us what we do deserve. And it's not fair that he paid the price for us, but he did it anyway because he loves us. Amen? And aren't you glad? Don't ask for justice. Ask for mercy. I don't want justice. How about you? Right? I don't want, I don't want to be given what I deserve. No thanks, because I know where I'd be. Right? Be very hot there. I don't want to go. Right? I don't want that. I want mercy. And so remember that when you're looking at others. Look at them through eyes of mercy, because you don't want justice. You don't want, you don't want to be given what you deserve. So when you look at others, you've got to look at them with the same heart and the same eyes of mercy. Verse 9. You shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord. It's fat and the whole fat tail, which, is, which shall remove close to the backbone. And the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. Now offering the is the best, again, sacrifice to the Lord. The fat tail was basically the meaty portion or the, the rear part of the, of the lamb, and they would cut that whole piece off and they would give it to the Lord. Now what's interesting is we're going to see in Leviticus 7 when we get there that they gave the best part to the Lord, but they didn't give all of it. Because what they did with what was left over is they would take it home and they would have a huge feast for their family. They would have a huge feast to celebrate the fact that they were now at peace with God that God had blessed them. All other sacrifices, they gave it all. But in this case, it would result in the end in a feast, in a celebration, in a time of, of blessing, when their whole family would come together and celebrate the fact that the price had been paid for them. The greatest peace in life comes when we give our very all, our very best to the Lord, and that's what was called for here. Verse 11, And the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Again, the priest is what? He's the intercessor. The God is called to intercede between sinful man and holy God. But we don't need intercessors anymore. Jesus Christ is the great high priest. He sacrificed it on the altar. It says there as food. The sacrifice was intended to symbolize a meal between God and the one offering it, where peace and friendship were epitomized by sharing a meal together. In those days, when people had, had gone to war or, or gone to battle, when they wanted to have a peace treaty, one of the ultimate things they would do is they would sit down and have a meal together to honor the fact that they were at peace with one another. And what they're saying here is that this offering was a, a food offering unto the Lord, and it was like they were having a, a meal with God. We're, Lord, we are at peace with one another, and we can sit down and celebrate the fact that we are at peace with one another. And I freely give this to you from the depths of my heart. 
And so then they would take the rest of it back, and they would have that same meal with their family. You know what? When we're at peace with God, we have blessings in our home. Amen? You know what? You cannot, your home cannot be where it needs to be if you personally are not at peace with God. You cannot be the godly husband, the godly father, the godly mother, the godly wife, the godly daughter, the godly son, the godly employee, whatever it might be, unless you personally are at peace with God. When you have an intimate personal relationship with Him, when your eyes are on Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what happens around you. God is faithful. You know what? The war in Iraq, I'm praying daily. I'm praying that God will use this for His glory. But I know people that were staying home from work because they were scared. You know what? There's no fear for those in Christ Jesus. Amen? We have nothing to be afraid of. Should we be praying? Absolutely. Should we be praying for our soldiers? Yes. Should we be praying for the, the innocent Iraqi people that just happened to be born there? Is it their fault? No. But there's a wicked government that God's going to remove them? But here's the reality. We need to pray for the soldiers. We need to pray that God will be glorified through this. We need to pray that, that there will be an opportunity for the truth to come out in the midst of this dark place. God's faithful. But we can turn to Him. And people that don't know God, they have no peace. We have peace because we know the Prince of Peace. Lastly, the goat offering. And the offer, verse 12, If the offering is a goat, then you shall offer it before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on its head, again, identifying that this animal is a representation of me, and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting, again, to enter into the tabernacle. There must be the shedding of blood. And the sons of Aaron shall sprinkle its blood all around the altar. Who are the sons of Aaron? Who are they? They're the priests. Only the priest can sprinkle the blood. Only the priest can enter the holy place. Only the priest, the high priest, can go into the holy of holies and only on the day of atonement. Again, goats in the Bible, representation, scapegoat of someone who takes someone else's place. Verse 14. Then he shall offer it from its offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys, the fat that is on them by the flanks, the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. So again, they're cutting out the best part and they're offering it unto the Lord. Verse 16. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma. All the fat is the Lord's. Again, all the best belongs to God. Again, symbolizing a meal of peace and fellowship between God and the one who's worshiping him. A reminder of the meal eaten by the worshiper later and his family. The remainder of it, they'd come together and they would eat the rest of what was left over and it would be a great celebration, a celebration feast. You know, the Bible talks about the fact that when we get to heaven, we're going to have a, a feast with God. We're going to sit and eat with God. There's going to be food. You know what? Jesus liked to eat. You ever notice that? A lot of feasts in the Bible. So we get to heaven, we're going to eat, and we're not going to gain any weight. Thank you, Jesus, right? So we can eat. It's going to be great, right? Lions going to be laying down with the lamb. I have no idea what we're going to eat, but it's going to be good, right? It's going to be great. We don't have to worry about cholesterol or fat or nothing. It's going to be good, right? And so here they're having this great feast, and it's, it's a, 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 remi a reminder to the family that God is, is so faithful and God is so good and we, we're at a place now, we're at peace with Him. And when you have a home that's at peace with God, you've got a home that's at peace. And lastly, verse 17, This shall be a perpetual statute throughout all your generations. In all your dwellings you shall eat neither fat nor blood. Now, perpetual statute means the offer, they would offer up this, this same sacrifice until the Messiah comes to fulfill it. It's offered up 
and then his blood would be shed. It would be handed down from generation to generation, teaching and instructing those who come after us. Hey, let me encourage you, parents, and those of you who are going to be parents someday. Sometimes people say, oh, I'm not a parent. When they talk about parents, they just kind of check out. Well, there's a good chance you may be a parent someday, all right? It's good to learn it now and not wait till your kids are teenagers to start hearing about it. Amen? But here's the good news. He says, from generation to generation, raise up a child in a way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I want to encourage you to raise your kids in a home where God is glorified, magnified, and lifted up. You want to see your kids in love with Jesus? You be in love with Jesus. Amen? You want to have kids who pray? You pray. You want to have a, a son who loves and ministers and honors his wife? You love and minister and honor your wife, and your son will watch that. Women, you want to have godly young women growing up in your home? You be a godly woman. Let them look at mom and say, that's what a godly woman looks like. My mom prays. My mom intercedes on behalf of us. My mom loves us. My mom serves us. My mom ministers to us. My mom loves my dad. I, you know what? Since my kids were little, I've always thought it was important for me to be affectionate with my wife in front of my kids. I go up and hug and kiss my wife in front of my kids all the time. Why? I want to look and say, my mom and my dad love each other. Because so many kids that go to schools and go to places where their parents don't love each other. And they don't see that. And I want my kids to know, oh, my parents love each other. There's just, that's it. They love each other. They're, they're married. They love me. They love each other. I know what a godly mom looks like. I know what a godly dad looks like. Believe me, I blow it. I'm not perfect. But it says generation to generation. There, I know no greater joy than to know my children walk in the truth. There's nothing that blesses me more than to see my kids loving Jesus Christ. You want to give me, turn me into a mess? Just let me see my kids worshiping. I'm done. I'm game over. That's it, right? I'll be in the car sometimes driving. I'll look in the rearview mirror. And my kids will be singing praise songs to the radio. I'm, I'm you know, I've got to pull over. You know, I'm like that, right? Because I just love that when my kids love the Lord, we need to visit it from generation to generation. And if you're at home and you're screaming at your wife, and then your kid's getting in trouble for being belligerent at school, where do you think he's learning it? Where do you think she's learning it? Visit it from generation to generation. Make the sacrifice of praise in your house. You know, sit down around your home. You know what, guys? Cleanse your homes. Eradicate the stuff in your house that's going to dishonor God because it will, it will draw your children away. Your kids are way more important than you being entertained or me being entertained. It says also there, it shall be perpetual from generation to generation in all your dwellings. No matter where you live, no matter where you go, no matter how it is, always honor God. Whether you live in the biggest house on the hill or you're living in a trailer park, honor God. Amen? I live in a trailer park. I'm not bashing anybody, okay? That's me, right? So no matter where you live, no matter what kind of house you have, no matter, what kind of, no matter where you move to, make sure that God is glorified and honored there. No matter what you have, put God above all else. And it says, you shall either eat, neither eat the fat nor the blood. They were not to eat that which belonged to the Lord. The fat was the best of the sacrifice, and the blood was reserved for sacrifice. Innocent blood offered up to the Lord. So in review, the free will peace offering was given in celebration of restoration of peace between holy God and sinful man. It had to come after the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the sin offering. It was a, a picture of total devotion to God. It was the best of the offering given to the Lord, the best of what they had, as you and I should give our best. Don't give God your leftovers, guys. Don't give God the, the time at the end of the day when you're, you're, about to go, you're about to fall asleep. How many of you ever fallen asleep, bring your Bible, raise your hand? Remember, lying's a sin. My hand, both my hands are up, right? You know, you give God the end of the day. After you've, you know, you've worked all day, and then you've 
you, you went and worked out or played softball or whatever you like to do and then watch three and a half hours of TV and then you get in bed, you know, about an hour and a half past your bedtime, oh, I better read my Bible now. And you get that thing out and you wake up drooling all over it, right? Your sound is oh, good, right? You're like that. that. That's not good. We need to give God of our first fruits, of our best, not of what's left. Give God from the best that we have. It's a picture of peace and friendship, epitomizing the sharing of a meal together. That again, the remainder of that meal was brought together and eaten by the family. And only through priests with God can there truly be peace in my home. And today we as believers have fellowship with God and with other believers on the basis of Christ's death on the cross. Closing in this, it says in Colossians 1.20, having made peace through the blood of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.14 says this, for he himself is our peace. If you don't have peace, people want world peace, right? You can see a few signs that say world peace in the last couple weeks. You know what, guys? They can stop all the bombing. They can put away all the weapons. They can, they can get rid of every, you know, every slingshot and BB gun and everything that's ever been made to harm another person. And there will not be peace unless we know the Prince of Peace. Amen? Because He created us to have that intimate relationship with Him. And unless we have that relationship with Him, there's going to be that God-shaped vacuum that we cannot fill with anything else. So you want peace? Fall in love with the Prince of Peace. And if you know Him, you can be standing in the middle of Baghdad, there can be bombs going off all around you, and you'll be at peace because you know the Prince of Peace. Amen? And that's the difference. The only way we can have peace is to know the Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and praise You for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for the fact that this offering of, of thanksgiving and prayer, that we can still make that same offering today, that free will offering, that peace offering, that thanksgiving offering. Lord, we're so thankful for your love and your grace. We thank you that you suffered and died that we might have eternal life. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here tonight that does not have peace. Lord, if they don't have peace because they don't know you, Lord, may you open their eyes to their need for you as Lord and Savior. May they come to you and say, Lord, forgive me for my sin. Make me a new creation. And Lord, if there's people here who do know you, who do not have peace, Lord, because their eyes have gotten off of you and their eyes are on the world, Lord, I pray you just pour out your spirit upon them. Comfort them and give them the peace that surpasses all understanding. Not the peace that comes from understanding, but the peace that comes from knowing you and trusting you in the midst of the storm. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen.